The following programming is sponsored by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or Beasley Media Group. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Positively Pro-Life, a podcast brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. Positively Pro-Life brings you inspiring stories, important legislative updates, and informative interviews as we restore and strengthen the culture of life. I'm Bonnie Fennerty, Education Director at the Federation, and I am joined by my distinguished colleague, Maria Gallagher, the Legislative Director. And Maria and I are delighted to introduce today's guest, who happens to be our keynote speaker at our Celebrate Life Banquet on October 21st at the Hershey Lodge. Dr. Benjamin S. Carson, Sr., MD, is founder and chairman of the American Cornerstone Institute, a new think tank, do tank, whose mission is to promote the four founding principles, which are cornerstones of our country, faith, liberty, community, and life, as well as pursue common sense solutions that challenge conventional groupthink. He most recently served as the 17th secretary of the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. For nearly 30 years, Dr. Carson served as director of pediatric neurosurgery at the Johns Hopkins Children's Center, a position he assumed when he was just 33 years old, becoming the youngest major division director in the hospital's history. In 1987, he successfully performed the first separation of cranial pagus twins conjoined at the back of the head. He also performed the first fully successful separation of type two vertical craniopagus twins in 1997 in South Africa. Dr. Carson received dozens of honors and awards in recognition of his achievements, including the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the nation's highest civilian honor. He is also a recipient of the Spingarn Medal, the highest honor bestowed, bestowed by the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People and has been awarded over 70 honorary doctorate degrees. The U.S. News Media Group and Harvard Center for Public Leadership named him among America's best leaders in 2008. Dr. Carson and his wife, Candy Carson, co-founded the Carson Scholars Fund, which recognizes young people of all backgrounds for exceptional academic and humanitarian accomplishments. The organization has awarded more than 10,000 scholars and more than $8 million in scholarships. Carson Scholars is currently operating in 50 states and the District of Columbia, and since its founding has installed more than 250 Ben Carson reading rooms around the country. Born in Detroit to a single mother with a third grade education who worked multiple jobs to support her family, Dr. Carson was raised to love reading and education. He has authored many books, four of which he co-wrote with his wife, Candy. Recently, Dr. Carson wrote his first children's book, Why America Matters, to teach kids about our important American values. Dr. Carson graduated from Yale University and earned his MD from the University of Michigan Medical School. He and his wife are proud parents and grandparents. As we mentioned earlier, Dr. Carson will be our keynote speaker at our Celebrate Life Banquet on October 21st at the Hershey Lodge. We are honored to have him join us today as our guest. Welcome, Dr. Carson. Well, thank you. I am absolutely delighted to be with you. Dr. Carson, you have such an inspiring life story. 
For those who may not be aware, can you explain how you rose from your humble beginnings to become a world-renowned surgeon? Well, you know, my mother got married when she was 13, uh, trying to escape dire poverty in rural Tennessee. Uh, they moved to Detroit. She found out that my father, some years later, was a bigamist. So she was left raising her two sons by herself with less than a third grade education. And it was tough. Uh, I was a terrible student, uh, probably the worst you've ever seen. But uh, my mother asked God to give her wisdom. What could she do to get her young sons to understand the importance of education? And, uh, you know, she was a domestic and she was cleaning beautiful houses. So she was inspired to become a spy. And, <laughs> you know, why, why are these people doing so well? And she concluded that it was because they didn't watch a lot of TV and they read a lot of books. So she came home and imposed that on me and my brother. Mm. We were not very happy, obviously, but, uh, you know, it made a huge difference. Uh, I became an excellent student, so did my brother. And, uh, you know, my mother's critics had to all eat crow because one son became a brain surgeon and one became a rocket scientist. But, uh, you know, I had an amazing career as a neurosurgeon because early on, I discovered who the real neurosurgeon was. I said, Lord, you be the neurosurgeon and I'll be the hands. And just amazing things began to happen after that, one after another after another. How did you come to hold your pro-life views? Well, you know, I was pro-choice for a very long period of time. And then uh, one day I was thinking about slavery. And uh, I was thinking about the abolitionists. And I said, what if the abolitionists had said, I don't believe in slavery myself, but you do what you want to do. Where would we be? So maybe we really do have a responsibility to others. And uh, if, if you look at the book of Proverbs, 24th chapter, verses 11 and 12, it says, we do have a responsibility for those who are being drawn unto death. And does not your heavenly father know whether you said something or did something? Well, history was made last Friday with the overturn of Roe and Casey. First, did you ever think we would see this day? And secondly, what are your thoughts on the decision? Uh, I was obviously very uh, delighted because, you know, my whole professional career been devoted to saving lives, not taking lives. And uh, I ha had anticipated that this would happen uh, at some point. I wasn't sure that it would happen quite this fast, but uh, I am thrilled because not so much a political victory as it is a victory for our system, because the way our government was designed as a democratic republic with the people at the center, we're supposed to be of, for, and by the people, which means important decisions, life and death decisions that affect the society should be in the hands of the people and their elected representatives, not in the hands of unelected judicial officials. And the justices basically return the issue to the place where it should be. And 
So I think that's really a victory for America. Now, one of the arguments that abortion supporters frequently cite is abortion to save the life of the mother. I'm just wondering, as a doctor, if you could respond to that argument. Well, you know, I dealt with a lot of mothers, and uh, many of them were pregnant, and some of them had been diagnosed with uh, neurological problems in the in the baby. But I never encountered a case where the mother's life was in danger. So I was talking to a couple of OBYGNs recently, and they told me they've never encountered a situation like that either. So I'm not sure why that argument is, is used so frequently when it must be vanishingly rare if people who actually engage in delivery of babies don't have occasion to in, to encounter such individuals. You've operated on tiny babies. Tell me what that experience is like, and how do you respond to those who have not had that experience and who do not share your pro-life views? Well, it is truly amazing. You know, uh, we get better and better technologically. Uh, I can remember a time when, you know, a, a baby who was born prematurely 28 or 29 weeks, and we were able to save it. It was a big deal. Now we're down to 24 weeks, 25 weeks, and some even earlier than that. And as our technology improves, it will be even less than that. Um, And I think it is just amazing when you take that tiny little baby, you can hold it in one hand. And... uh, and we can do things uh, that will improve and save that baby's life. And you can see that it's a human being. Uh, and even before it's out, I mean, you look at the improvements in our imaging capabilities now. We can see just a few weeks after the conception uh, features that would identify this as a human being. And within six to eight weeks, the heart's beating. You see little fingers and toes and eye sockets and uh, lips. And I mean, how can you say that that's not a human being? And the brain is developing at a rate of 400 million neurons every single day. That thing is developing very quickly. And uh, I just find it very difficult to to deny that that's a human being. It's much more sophisticated at that stage than a snail darter. And you've got all these people running around saying, we got to save the snail darters. Well, how about saving the human babies? Abortion, sadly, disproportionately affects African-Americans in this country. Talk to us about the Black genocide. Well, interestingly enough, uh, Margaret Sanger, who founded uh, Planned Parenthood, was a eugenicist. Uh, She believed that uh, it was okay to, through various means, eliminate certain people from the population. And she was a tremendous hero in Nazi Germany. (laughs) You can imagine why. Uh, And her clinics were positioned primarily in minority communities, Black and Hispanic communities specifically. 
uh, because those were the people uh, who needed to be purged in order to help purify the nation. And I don't think most people in the minority community even know that story, even, even know that they've been targeted like that. But I, I hope we will all come to realize that every single individual, regardless of their external physical characteristics, is made in the image of God and is a tremendous blessing. And we should do all that we can to preserve them. Dr. Carson, the University of Pittsburgh has been exposed as using aborted fetuses in their research projects. And there are also allegations that some of the organs may have been obtained through illegal abortions, illegal procedures. So I'm wondering as a doctor, um, what do you think can be done to stop this horrendous breach of ethics? Well, exposure is, is the key thing. Uh, staying on the case, uh, making it public. It's amazing how these particularly academic institutions will yield to public pressure. And, uh, but for the most part, people haven't said anything in the, other than in their little private get-togethers. And uh, that's not having any uh, impact whatsoever upon these kind of activities, and they will continue as long as we don't shine the light on them. So shining a light on them, exposure, uh, transparency, that's the most appropriate weapon in these cases. Now that we're in a post-Roe era, what do you see as our greatest challenges moving forward? Well, you know, this post-Roe era has been uh, pretty rugged in these first couple of weeks, and I expect that will continue to be the case. Uh, the key thing for the pro-lifers is not to be intimidated uh, because, you know, intimidation, cancellation, uh, calling you out, embarrassing you, uh, those are the things that the left uses tremendously. But I think in addition to not being intimidated, uh, we should go on a campaign of education because a lot of the people who are pro-abortion really don't understand what it is that they're advocating for. And maybe help them to see what happens during a first-term abortion. When, um, you know, you put that tubing into the uterus, and you can see on the ultrasound, as the baby moves away, it rips off an arm or a leg, and you see the blood and materials going down the tube. And that's pretty graphic. And uh, I think that would change a lot of minds. And, and if that doesn't change their minds, how about during the second trimester? When you put the force up in there, just grab whatever you can and twist and turn and yank until a shoulder comes out or, or an intestine. Or, and, uh, you know, you're actually, you're literally ripping a human being to pieces. And you got to be pretty callous to say, ah, that's not really a human being. I, yes, it has eyes and nose and a mouth and a brain and a liver and a heart and all these things, but it's not really a human being. 
Uh, that's 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 a tough one. Dr. Carson, what is your message to the younger generation? My message is that we get to choose what kind of society we want to be. Do we want to celebrate a culture of life? Or do we want to celebrate a culture of death? You know, we look back on many of the ancient societies and we talk about how barbaric they were because they engaged in human sacrifice and the sacrifice of children. But are we any better? And how will history regard us? And we are the ones who get to choose which type of society we want to be. So, Dr. Carson, I've been listening to your podcast, Common Sense, which I very much enjoy. Um, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the podcast and about the American Cornerstone Institute. Yes, well, the, the, the podcast just started a little uh, a month ago, and uh, we've had a lot of very interesting uh, guests. Yesterday, we had President Trump, um, and uh, that will be uh, shown in a few days. But um, the American Cornerstone Institute was uh, started after the 2020 election. I was going to retire. I, I failed retirement the first time. I said, this time I'm going to retire. <laughs> I'm going to go play golf, and I'm going to just travel around, and I'm just going to enjoy my life. But uh, it wasn't too many weeks after the election that I could see what was happening to our nation already. And I said, I would never be able to enjoy myself on the golf course watching my nation go down the tubes. So I, along with some uh, outstanding people from HUD, got together and created a think tank slash do tank called American Cornerstone, which focused on the cornerstone principles that made this into a great nation. That would be our faith, our Judeo-Christian values, which teach us, for instance, to love our neighbor. When you get rid of that value, you get left with things that tell you to hate your neighbor if they don't agree with you, to cancel your neighbor, to hurt their family, things that are completely antithetical to the American way. And the next cornerstone, liberty, freedom. Our nation has always represented the beacon, the freedom, the place where people could live the lives that they wanted. Uh, they could uh, practice the religion that they wanted as long as they weren't injuring anyone else. And it remains that beacon of freedom even today as people try to denigrate our nation, say it's systemically racist and a horrible place. If that were the case, why would people be forming caravans trying to get in here? Um, and then the next cornerstone, community. The fact that we were able to work together, people from different backgrounds, people with different talents and skills, working together to create a strong unit. That's why we're called the United States. And then the last pillar, life. Respect for life from the womb to the tomb. And as we've grown more coarse in our relationships with each other, it's reflected by our lack of respect for life. And we must bring that back 
and also recognize that we, the American people, are not each other's enemies. And then we have a pediatric component to the program called Little Patriots, because we recognize that, as it says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And, uh, you know, our enemies recognize how important it is to indoctrinate kids. Well, we can get to the kids early with the right kinds of materials so that they understand who we are uh, as a nation, as a people, and uh, do everything that they can to improve the atmospheres of influence. Dr. Carson, we probably have about seven minutes left, and I want to ask you, how do you respond to those who say that the pro-life stance is anti-science? I think you are in a great position to answer that. Well, you know, we understand the whole concept of conception. We know that there's a female gamete and a male gamete. They both have a half of a full set of chromosomes. They both have 23 chromosomes. But when the male and the female gamete join, they fuse, that's when conception occurs. And all of a sudden, you have an entity that has 46 chromosomes, a full set of genetic instructions to become an adult human being. They don't need anything else. They're not going to get anything else. They got it right there. And uh, then you, you, you look at the zygote that is formed and how rapidly it, be, it begins to multiply. Results of that multiplication are so that by the time you're looking at six to eight weeks, you're looking at a baby. You're looking at a human being that has a head and shoulders and arms and legs, many of the organs are beginning to form. The, the brain is forming, the heart is beating. I mean, this is really quite a miraculous thing if you sit there and watch, and how quickly it is developing and starting to respond to the environment and showing preferences for right hand versus left hand and sucking the thumb and just, you know, demonstrating behaviors. It's, it's really an incredible thing. And now we can see it all happening. There was a time when we just kind of imagined what was going on, but we can actually see what is going on now. The imaging has been spectacular. And I think uh, that's the science that shows us this is one of us, this is a human being, and we have an obligation to protect it. Dr. Carson, you've been a hero of mine since the early 1990s when one of my sixth grade students brought me your book, Gifted Hands, and recommended that I read it. Um, and I did. And um, I know you have a very strong faith in God, but I'm wondering who have been some of your um, mentors and heroes through the years that have formed your vision? Well, of course, my chief hero was my mother. Uh, you know, she was an incredible person, probably the wisest person I ever knew. 
even though she didn't have much in the way of education, she just understood things. And uh, she never made excuses. And she never accepted excuses from us. And if we ever made an excuse, the next thing out of her mouth was a poem called Yourself to Blame. And after the poem came the question, do you have a brain? And if the answer was yes, then you could have thought your way out of it. It doesn't matter what somebody else said or did. And uh, that, that made a big, big difference for me. And then uh, my fifth grade science teacher, uh, Mr. Jake, he was, he was the first teacher who actually believed in me and thought I was smart and, you know, had me come after school and work with him in the laboratory and help take care of the animals and really sparked my interest in science. It was uh, tremendous. And then there was Mr. Dokes, the band teacher in, in high school. And uh, he was acting more like a father figure. He knew I didn't have a father. Uh, and he was so courageous. And I actually won a scholarship to interlock in the music uh, academy, which is a very difficult thing to do. No one at my school had ever done that before. And it would have been a big feather in his cap. And he said, Benny, don't accept it. He says, because you're going to be a great doctor and I don't want you to get distracted by music. And he was really thinking about me more than he was thinking about himself. And uh, so, you know, there were a lot of teachers. Um, so, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of teachers. Maybe not so much of teacher unions, but a big fan of, of teachers. Right. And they kept me on the straight and narrow. There was, there was Miss, Miss Schoenberger in high school. Uh, who later became Mrs. Miller. Uh, and she really thought I had a lot of potential. And she really got after me when I started hanging out with the wrong crowds and, you know, just told me, you know, if you don't stop hanging out with them, I'm going to kill you. So I just stopped hanging out. <laughs> well, Dr. Carson, it's been such a pleasure to speak with you today and, and to hear all of your very wise insights. And, and I can't help but think um, that your mother would be so proud of the person that you became and uh, uh, the, the tremendous accomplishments you've had in your life. And it's such a wonderful American story. And we are so grateful that you shared it with us today. Well, thank you. And I'm looking forward to being with you in October. We can't yes. wait. We can't wait to hear you in Hershey. Thank you, Dr. Carson. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Carson. Positively Pro-Life is made possible through the generous support of our many chapters throughout the Commonwealth. The Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation is the largest single-issue pro-life organization in the Keystone State, with more than 40 local county-based chapters. We shine a spotlight on the most vulnerable individuals, from the very dawn of life to the twilight of life. To learn more about the inspiring work of the Federation, please visit our website at paprolife.org. You can also find us on all major social media. Just look for PA Pro Life. My thanks to my affable co-host, Bonnie Finnerty, and for you who inspire us each week. Thank you for joining us. And remember, there's always a reason to choose life.